So welcome to Mums Get Fit Retreat, how to get your body back and feel sexy again after kids. This is the free online event, especially for the busy mum who wants to lose weight, tone up and feel confident in herself and her body by eating better, working out and working on her mindset. I am your host, Jessica Marie, and today we have a very special guest here with us. Her name is Corey Probst, PhD, who is highly qualified in many different fields. She is a health psychologist and coach, exercise physiologist, personal trainer, life coach, counsellor, and sports nutrition clinician, to name a few. She has also achieved athletic status in the World Natural Bodybuilding Federation, featured in multiple fitness magazines, including Oxygen, created multiple courses online. She's also an author and she co-hosts the Diet Doc Life Mastery podcast. Welcome, Corey. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here, Jessica. I appreciate the invitation. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. So tell me, Corey, a bit about your journey, where you started and why you do what you do. It wasn't until when I was a freshman in high school where uh, I was given the choice of taking physics <laughs> or weight training <laughs> and I chose weight training. Yeah. And so that's kind of where I really started uh, getting involved in more organized fitness related activity. You know, in my late teens is when I really started struggling with food and body image and disordered eating. And yeah. I think a lot of us, oftentimes we end up in the careers we do because there are things that we personally need to learn. <laughs> and Perhaps talk me through a bit about the psychology of eating and what disordered eating looks like. Big question. And, <laughs> you know, we could get into like the diagnosis of disorder there. I mean, there are lots of eating disorders that are in the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders, but from a coaching perspective, yeah. when we talk about disordered eating, we want to look at the relationship that we have with food and the relationship that we have with our bodies and the impact that those two things have on the different contexts of our lives. So how are we with food and, and how does that relationship influence, um, you know, what we will do day to day? Does yeah. it, how, how flexible is it? How rigid is it? Does it lead to us isolating? Has it gotten in the way of connecting? Has it gotten in the way of our other relationships? Has it gotten in the way of, you know, us being able to pursue meaningful, you know, activities in our lives. I guess the other thing I'll say is, it's not just disordered eating, it's dis dis a disordered relationship, even with exercise too. Absolutely. Yeah, so I think really, I've definitely I think, been there. <laughs> have, yeah, I have too. And, and I think, you know, a lot of coaches in this industry have been there and they've worked their way through and learned how to have a more functional, whole, healthy, um, open, honest, respectful relationship with all of those things to be able to coach others through it and to help them pursue whatever goals they have. 
with a much more open-minded perspective around it because it's super easy to get caught up in these different cultural and societal messages about how we're supposed to look. Mm, like all or nothing. All or nothing, very black and white. How we're supposed to look, what we're supposed to weigh, what our BMI should be, like what our measurements should be, all the things that, that are largely unrealistic and that requires so much of us that our lives just become this big if if we're you know we have those expectations for ourselves yeah so absolutely so why do you think it is that we self-sabotage that's an awesome question (laughs) and first I'll say Jessica that I I don't believe that we do self-sabotage Um, I think self-sabotage is a largely misunderstood concept first, because if we look at it, how many of us actually like go into a goal pursuit? Okay, I'm going to lose weight. That's my goal. I want to, you know, I want to lose 20, however many pounds. How many of us actually set a goal like that and then deliberately kind of cut ourselves off at the knees or you know, intentionally make mistakes that we're going to regret um, and that are going to cause us to feel disappointed or discouraged. Like, none of us do that. (laughs) We don't do that deliberately and intentionally. So I think that what people call self-sabotage can indicate what we often haven't done the work around to recognize in terms of why am I engaging in this behavior in the first place? Because what we call self-sabotage, you know, let's take any client that we've worked with. They, let's say they go to a party, they've made a plan that they're, you know, they're not going to eat anything. <laughs> <laughs> they go to the party, they see their favorite foods on the table, they see the brownies, um, Maybe the friend offers them a glass of wine, so they end up drinking the wine. And they had set the intention of not having any of those foods at the party. Okay, they they had made that plan, and then the plan, they failed. That's something that they would call, like, they'd get home and they're like, why do I keep self-sabotaging myself? And it's my contention, Jessica, that that's not self-sabotage. It's an indicator of the other things that are important to that person. For Mm. example, we drink the wine. Let's get beyond the wine. Yeah. A friend offered the wine. Okay. Maybe you really like wine, but it's more complex. It's more complex than that. Like if we're in a social situation, you know, we have a basic psychological need for connection that everyone on the planet, every human has that need. And a basic psychological need, you know, really influences our sense of vitality, our sense of energy. And so that wasn't necessarily self-sabotage. That was, I have a commitment to connecting with people who are important to me. And so I have this commitment to lose weight and or not eat at the party, but I also have this really, really strong commitment to connecting with people too. Now in that situation, the need to connect one out. And so 
when we look at something as self-sabotage, I think here's the problem. When we look at something as self-sabotage, like where does that leave us? It leaves us feeling like ashamed, like there's something wrong with us, like we must not be motivated enough to, to make a change. And then what, what? Like we lose momentum, we're probably gonna make more poor decisions after that because you know we couldn't figure it out anyway. Like it, it puts us in this kind of catch 22. When we can look at it as, okay, there's another commitment here that I may not be familiar with. What is it? Oh, well, I really want to, okay, I really wanted to connect with this person. There was perhaps this underlying fear that if I said no thank you, that this person would say something to me, look at me like, what, you're not drinking? And then I would have to say why, and now there's this weirdness between us. You know, it, it could be a whole host of other things, but we, we need to do the work to kind of back up and figure out what are all the other things that are important to me. And if I'm engaging in a behavior, there's some incentive for me to do it or I wouldn't be doing it in the first place. Does that make sense? Like a bit of a payoff? Absolutely. Absolutely. We wouldn't do anything if there weren't some sort of a payoff. And so it's really important that we get familiar, familiar with what those payoffs are. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't agree more. It's yeah. something that trips a lot of people up and without the awareness, they aren't quite equipped to deal with the situation moving forward. But I guess that's you've brought right. light to the awareness. So that's very extremely helpful. Um, mm -hmm. So what would you say would be a mental shift that would need to take place in order to have a more resilient life? Interesting. Yeah. Um, let's see. In terms of these, you know, because we're speaking to individuals who want to what lose body fat, get get healthier, um, you know, as you described it in your introduction, get their bodies back. I would say that one of the number one things that I think we could work on is becoming better feelers versus always trying to feel better. And I say that because most of us, and I'll give you an example of a client that I'm working with. Most of us, when things get hard, they feel difficult. We feel discouraged. We've, we, when we're experiencing an uncomfortable emotion, we want to push it away. We want to try to move away from it. We want to try to avoid it. And we want to try to change it immediately to something that's more comfortable, right? Something yep. that feels more positive. When we do that, though, we really minimize any sort of learning that can come from that experience in the first place. And what we're doing is we're reinforcing this belief that this discomfort or sense of unpleasantness is not okay. And we need, and we we're reinforcing that sense of aversion to it. And what we know what we know from the research, Jessica, is that 
it is not the happiest people on the planet that the, the happiest people on the planet don't just experience positive emotions. That's the best way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> They're the people that experience the full range of emotions <laughs> and are able to weather those. Yeah. And understand that that is a part of that. That just comes with the territory of life. But from our, for this, the purpose of this um, discussion, you know, individuals who are trying to meet physique goals and make these behavioral changes to get there, we know that when they can offer themselves this sense, this approach of compassion and ease and openness when difficulty arises and they're experiencing these uncomfortable emotions, they will make wiser decisions moving forward. It actually, especially for dieters, moves them in the direction of more momentum, a more positive and engaging sense of motivation, and this space mentally that allows them to say, okay, what is the next best step here instead of going to, well, screw it. I already failed. Like I might as well fill in the blank. And most people know this as the, what the hell effect. And, and yeah. we've seen over and over in the research, especially dieters, people who are straining their food intake. It's like they only have, and you mentioned this in the beginning, like two tracks to go down. One is follow the plan, do it perfectly, mm. <laughs> don't screw up. And if they do, the only other option is to eat. So it's either don't eat. And if they do eat, then it's just eat. And so it's like, if there's only two roads and there's nothing in the middle, you know, that puts us in a place of, well, then I don't have any choices. And, yeah. and we know human nature, when we don't feel like we have any choices, that's when we feel that sense of threat. And I mean, we just kind of, we crumble. It, we, we don't feel engaged in the activity anymore. It feels like, well, why even continue? And so when you say like, what is a shift that we can make for more resilience? It's like, yeah. this is it. <laughs> to be able to roll with the punches, have a more open perspective, recognize that, you know what, as human beings, it's really natural to want to kind of go binary, black and white, but mm -hmm. it's a real error in thinking that will get in our way over the long term. So it kind of boxes you in a little bit. And yes. perhaps what would be a thought that somebody in this situation where it's like this road or this road, what would be something that they could say to themselves to help them get into that middle ground? I, lo I love this question because <laughs> it, it hits on the concept of self-compassion. And I think it's, it's important to recognize that self-compassion has three parts to it. Yeah. Um, and I just want to say that, you know, a lot of people when they hear you know, we should offer ourselves compassion when things get difficult and we're kind of caught in that icky feeling of making a poor decision. That self-compassion for a lot of people, like it's perceived as kind of weak. 
And like, if I don't beat myself up in that situation, I'm not going to make a, you know, I'm not going to move forward. Like I need to hold myself accountable. <laughs> um, and, and like, that's I need like, to punish myself. <laughs> that's right. Like I need to take harsh ownership of this situation, but that, that may work in the short term because we feel threatened. If you think about, and you know, the, there are moms on this listening, <sighs> think about your, your kid, picture one of your kids. Mm. and you they do something that you don't uh, you don't like their behavior and you say to them what is wrong with you (sighs) okay that might in the short term stop them but what kind of relationship are you creating with your child by doing that in the long term so what self-compassion really does is it increases our resilience it increases our motivation it puts our nervous systems actually in this place where we can feel calmer yeah we still may not be proud of the behavior that we engaged in but we can feel calmer and we can persist so the three components of self-compassion are kindness so that's responding to ourselves in a warm way the way we would with you know, a really good friend if something happened with them and they were feeling negatively. Common humanity, which is, you know what, I'm, there are people, everyone has probably been in a similar situation as this and they've felt this way too. And then mindfulness. And in the case of self-compassion, mindfulness is very much this non-judgmental stance that we take. So, to your question, what can we say to ourselves? We might say something like, oh, okay. Don't like how I feel right now. This is an experience of disappointment. I'm not feeling good. And so what? there's that acknowledgement piece. And you know what? There are other people who have been in this situation just like I am going through right now. So then there's the common humanity. This hurts, but I'll, I'll be okay. Like there's the kindness piece of it. And there's, there's no judgment involved in that. This sucks. I don't like it. Um, but how can I move forward from it in a more positive way? Cause I'm not the only one that, that has gone through this before. So there's an, there's an ownership piece in there too. And I think the different ways that people choose to speak with themselves minus criticism and blaming and shaming is really going to be individual. I tend to prefer a more like firm um, responsibility taking that works better for me. Like Corey, you don't feel good. That was a poor decision. You're not alone in it but how would you like to move forward from this positively? Like that's the kind of like inner coach that I need. Other people may respond better to more soft, more gentle, more tender, like, gosh, sweetheart, this is really tough. Like it sucks to feel this way. I know it hurts, but how can we take responsibility and move forward, you know, in a positive way? The yeah. point though, is that we want to be, we want to conjure our inner coach rather yeah. than our inner critic. 
So instead of pushing yourself away and rejecting yourself, you're really trying to build the relationship with yourself and start to learn to be a bit of a self-coach in the moment of things when they're not going quite the way that you want them to. Very well articulated. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So, Corey, for somebody who is struggling really to get started to make the change, Mm -hmm. what could they do to get out of inaction and just start Mm -hmm. to make a bit of progress? Yeah, you know, each one of us comes upon a potential goal in a different stage, you know. Some of us are really ready to jump right in. We're ready to take action. Some of us are still contemplating, like, is this really something that I want to do? Um, And so it kind of depends on where we find ourselves. Are we contemplating? Are we just kind of considering, like, very early stages of making a change? Um, Are we ready to take action? Have we already taken, or, like, are we in the middle of action? Um, but if we're in those very early stage stages, I think what behooves us the most would be to really start reflecting. Um, we know that individuals who just kind of jump into a goal pursuit without considering um, what it is we want, why we want it, the different obstacles that we might run into along the way and how we want to respond to it, those obstacles, the the kind of energy we want to bring to the whole process um really kind of looking at like am i going to approach this as a learning process and an experience whereby i can develop new skills and abilities or am i just focused on that outcome 20 pounds like and i'm going to go for it we know that people who focus on the in the former way They reach their goals with greater persistence, resilience, grit, passion, motivation, momentum, all the things, um, because they understand that the process involves like taking some steps backward, understanding and learning new things about themselves, getting really deeply acquainted with their tendencies and why they do things, um, the different competing commitments that, that they're having. One of the things that I like to have my clients do is what's called a decisional balance exercise. So it's this four squares. And you know what? If you're listening, you could draw four squares on a piece of paper. And you have advantages and disadvantages. And then you have change and no change. So really what you're doing is you're getting acquainted with If I make this change, what are the advantages? If I make this change, what are the disadvantages? Then if I don't make this change, what are the advantages? (laughs) And Mm -hmm. if I don't make this change, what are the disadvantages? So it really helps us clarify and get super deep in regards to our beliefs, our ideas, all the reasons that would potentially keep us from and the obstacles that we might run into that would keep us from making this change and being consistent around it. Um, That would be probably the first thing that I would recommend. Um, I'm working with a client who right now, as an example, most times that we talk each week, she will say 
something very similar to me. She will say, I really need to stop drinking wine. I mean, I've, I've heard that. I can't even count how many times I really need to stop drinking wine. <laughs> and we've had the conversation, like you say that every time that we chat, <laughs> like it's clearly in your mind, this is an important thing for you to, to, to do. Hmm. How realistic is it that you will actually follow through with it? She doesn't like the idea of it. She's like, I know that it's going to be really hard and I feel like I, I need to, but I don't really want to. And so we did the decisional balance. Um, her reasons for wanting to stop were not a long list. Lose weight, sleep better. She had two things on that list. And I'm like, okay, why? <laughs> <laughs> Why else? <laughs> really, if these were compelling enough, <laughs> you would be stopping drinking wine, right? Potentially. Yeah. So asking deeper questions. So how will losing weight change your life? Why is losing weight important to you? What will losing weight change in regards to, because I'm assuming you want to lose weight for a reason rather than just lose weight. Like, I mean, <laughs> maybe some of us do like they, we haven't really thought about it. Like actually, how is losing weight going to benefit me? Maybe I don't even need that goal in the first place. There are a lot more things that I could potentially be losing than gaining as a result of losing weight. But so like, what difference will it make in your life? Who, who will you be at a lighter weight? And secondarily, like, what will losing weight require of you in the long term? Mm -hmm. So if losing weight means that you have to not drink for the rest of your life, how realistic is that going to be? Now, of course, if, if I'm dealing with an alcoholic right now, then it's not about like, well, let's just cut back. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> different different story yeah. um but my point is we need to ask better questions and yeah. this client i mean really what she revealed is she came to understand that she has this belief that if she stopped drinking wine she wouldn't feel celebratory and then she also said that she would miss the immediate gratification of having wine when she wanted it. Okay. Yeah. She also listed that if she decided to not have wine, she would not have social time with friends. That's a big one. It, a huge one. Absolutely. Yeah. So she believes that if she's not having wine, she won't be connecting with people. Yeah. And the point here is to not just take those answers at face value. So I asked True, her, yeah. like, have there never been any moments in your life where you were socializing without alcohol? And she was like, well, no. I mean, of course I've socialized without alcohol. And I'm like, okay. So let's not get caught up in this, like, false belief that mm -hmm. if you cut back on alcohol, you wouldn't have connecting like connected connections with your friends anymore. So the whole point of this is to like 
poke holes in the beliefs that we might have so that we can get past these barriers that prevent us from trying to make the change in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. It makes so much sense. Do you think there would be a way to set up your environment for success, like do things like weight training and things that actually change your brain so that it it's a little bit less determination, willpower, that sort of thing? Like you're, you're naturally just evolving by doing some things, if that makes yeah, sense. It, yes, it makes total sense. And I like, I, I like the phrase environmental engineering because I like to look at it like it's a three-legged stool. So when we look at the different environments we're in, it's not just our built environment, like our surroundings outside of us, which is super important because we are as humans influenced by so many different things. If I see a billboard with a beautiful picture of a meal on it, like the potential exists that I'm just going to start salivating, like (laughs) big deal. (laughs) Okay. We're influenced, (laughs) but we're also influenced by our relationships and and we know from the psychological literature too like we become more like the five people we spend the most time with so maybe we need to really be careful around like who we're influenced by what are we looking at on social media who are the people that we're following and listening to all the time like what you know what are the inputs coming in all the time and are they are they positive And are they functional? And are they teaching us and sending messages that are actually leading to, you know, greater health and happiness and well-being? But so there's that external environment leg of the three-legged stool. Yeah. There's the psychological leg of the stool because we have a psychological environment. We have our minds. We have the thoughts that rattle around up there in our minds. And then the, the third leg of the stool is um, physiology. So our bodies, we have this internal environment and that includes like all of the different processes um, that our bodies go through to keep us functioning, including as females, our, our menstrual cycles or not, you know, if we're pregnant, we know our bodies are changing all the time. <laughs> and even if we're not pregnant <laughs> or if we're in menopause, our bodies just change all the time. So we have that physiological environment as well. We need to take care of all three legs of those, you know, of that stool. Um, And obviously, like, if we're not taking care of one, the stool becomes imbalanced and it it falls. Um, So I gave the example of like our external environments, our surroundings and relationships. Like who are we hanging out with? Who are we taking information in from? You know, are they promoting healthy messages? And we need to be really careful and thoughtful about that. Physiologically, um, you know, are we feeding ourselves well? And that's gonna look different for every single person asking like, what is my relationship with food? And am I, you know, am I approaching food flexibly, realistically, you know, on a, on a rigidity scale, like, am I real black and white around what I'll eat and what I won't eat and the times that I'm eating? Or am I, am I allowing myself to approach this body and food from 
um, a real open, curious place. And can I learn to listen to my body's signals? You know, I was talking with a client earlier today and she's, you know, she comes from a competitive physique background. Um, but she, before she started competing, she was just very intuitive about her eating. Like she knew when she was hungry, she knew when she was satisfied, she knew when she was, there wasn't a lot of control and restriction around it. Then she started tracking. (laughs) She started (laughs) using my fitness pal and what that does oftentimes is puts us in this place where we're following external guidelines and we move away from our internal guidelines. We stop listening to our bodies and we start listening to an app. Yeah. And that can get us into a lot of trouble. So we have to be really careful and we have to ask ourselves like, what is the purpose of this? And is using this app and tracking my food and monitoring my food. And I'm, you know what, I, I did it for years, but I tried to approach it from a place of education and combining like mindfulness and mindful eating and really listening to the signals of my body while I was using tracking to learn about food instead of having the app necessarily like okay. be the answer for must eat now. Yeah. What if I'm not hungry right now? <laughs> or, you know, it 2 p.m. is mealtime, but you know what? I'm full. So yeah. asking that tough question. Now, the other thing is our, you know, our mindset. That's our, that's part of our psychological environment. Um, how are we talking to ourselves? How are we setting up this situation so that we can stay persistent, we can stay resilient, but we're doing it in a flexible, motivated sort of way? Am I getting my needs met? Um, what, it, what are the voices in my head? How are they talking to me? Are they kind? Are they compassionate? Are they firm? Are they, you know what, are they supportive and coach-like, empathic? Um, versus blaming and shaming. Um, From a very, very practical perspective, we know that because we are so influenced by our external environments, um, different things within the environment can cue certain behavior. I'll use the example of my clients again. We know that her cue for going to get a glass of wine is the end of the workday when she shuts her computer. It's like shutting the computer is that cue and she automatically gets up and walks into the kitchen to pour her glass of wine. So, you know what? She's gonna keep working. If she's going to change the behavior, it's not about quitting her job. (laughs) It's about recognizing like, oh, that's the cue. That's literally the signal That's the action, shutting the computer that has become connected to going to get the wine. So I'm like, okay, how can you structure your environment differently so that we can kind of break the sequence a little bit and and help you make this change? So, okay, let's use the cue to signal a different sort of behavior because we know that a habit, and this is very much a habit for her right now, it's a cue 
it's a behavior and then it's a reward. Yeah. So her reward, what she identified is like, well, I get to relax. Like I have that glass of wine. That's the behavior. And the reward is like, like I just get to let the day go. And I'm like, well, that's a great reward. So let's talk about other ways to get that reward. What are other actions that you can take? It's not going to feel great the first time because you're used to doing this. You're used to pouring the glass of wine. Mm -hmm. But I actually, I suggested to her, get your wine glass and go get your sparkling water, your sparkling soda. Pour that in the wine glass because part of that satisfaction that she gets is getting the wine glass down from the cupboard, the action of pouring. I'm like, let's keep that. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Let's just put a different substance in there (laughs) and let's see what happens. So part of two is in engineering that mindset and that, that psychology leg of the stool is to be able to come at things with a perspective of openness and curiosity and like, let me just do an experiment. Let me give it a week let me experiment with this. Like I'm, I'm living in a laboratory and I'm a scientist and let me just open up to the experience and see what happens. No right or wrong. I may end up drinking the glass of wine, but let me just see. Yeah. We need to give ourselves the chance if we expect to change. So not being so hard on ourselves with, and so rigid with the outcome, just letting ourselves discover how's the best way to make changes and to make sometimes make mistakes as well and be willing to. And there's research, Jessica, that shows, you know, they've compared individuals who have what are called like emergency reserves or mulligans or like a free pass um, to individuals who pursue something challenging without those, like it's do or die. I have to do it this specific way. And they showed that, in a very significant way that the individuals who have those like the challenging goal, just the same, but have like a couple of free passes achieve their goal to a greater degree than the people who don't. Yeah. And so we have to expect that there are going to be times when we don't follow the rules exactly. <laughs> and we do make mistakes. That's the nature of change itself. Yep. I think that's so good to know, Corey. I think so many people get hung up on being perfect and it really trips them up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, we've just covered so much today, haven't we? I feel like we could keep going on and on, but. (laughs) Yeah, good stuff. I know that you have a very special gift to offer people that are watching um, yeah. today. So would you like to just um, quickly give us a little share on what that is? Absolutely. So I've created a number of online courses that my clients have found really, really helpful. One of them being one that I call Dear Body, Thank You. Um, and I think especially at this time, in this place, like, you know, we're in this place where COVID has really changed kind of the course of a lot of people's lives. And I know from the work with my clients that a lot of women especially are they're really getting down on their bodies. 
I mean, many of us gained weight through the COVID process. Um, our lives changed a lot. We had to shift a lot of things. Our responsibilities required us to pivot. And this course specifically, it doesn't deal with COVID, <laughs> but it educates us on all of the different ways in which we are influenced in terms of how we think about our bodies, why we think the way that we do about our size and weight and shape. And it offers, you know, it offers women different activities that they can use to start changing their relationships with their bodies to be more positive, to be more functional, um, and to be more oriented towards well-being and health, as opposed to always thinking we need to change them and morph them and shape, shape them and shift them in different directions. So um, that course can be accessed by going to thedietdoc.com slash dearbody. And then I'll put um, the link below the video so that they can get access to that. Perfect, Jessica. And then do you want the discount code? Do you want to put that? Perhaps. um, Yeah, we'll put the discount code below as well. So that. Okay, perfect. Yeah, Yeah, um, it's just going to be thank you 50. I want to offer everyone 50% off that course. So I I hope that, yeah, they can. Thank you, Corey. That's incredibly generous of you. Um, very much appreciated Um, thank you everyone so much today for watching and please be sure to stay tuned for tomorrow's upcoming interview as well thanks so much Jessica thank Thank you you. so much Corey yeah